the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles, now streaming only on Paramount Plus. Yes! On May 23rd. I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? Okie dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount+. Plus. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. Welcome back into the Lions 24 7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue, and for the first time in a full year, We've got a loss to look back at from these Nittany Lions, a 20-12 defeat suffered by Penn State on the road in Columbus on Saturday afternoon. We broke down those details on our postgame podcast. Daniel Gallen joined me uh, from Ohio Stadium, where him and Mark Brennan were in the press box and on the field watching the Nittany Lions stumble their way uh, through a showdown against Ohio State offensively. We covered a lot of ground on the podcast about what we saw. We'll, We'll circle back to some new things. Or we'll circle back to some old things that we we cashed through. We'll also look at some new wrinkles that have come up as we've worked our way through some game snaps and personnel plans and, and kind of what Penn State put out on the field. But without further ado, let's bring in Mark Brennan and Daniel Gallon right now. Gentlemen, welcome back to Happy Valley. And we've got some things to talk about, as usual, on our Monday episodes because we don't hear from him on the postgame podcast. We give the mic initially over to Mark Brennan. And Mark, take it away. Your initial thoughts here for us from a 20 to 12 a clunker in a lot of ways for the Nittany Lions. Yeah, after uh, driving back through some spectacular scenery in Pennsylvania, West Virginia, and Ohio uh, to kind of settle things down a little bit, you know, it occurs to me that early in this season, uh, you know, I just had a sense that this team was playing very complimentary football, that if the offense wasn't playing well, the defense picked it up. If the defense wasn't doing things perfectly, which – wasn't very often the offense did what it needed to do uh, to me this game I, I don't know I guess you know things that are in our rearview mirror are kind of closer than, than they appear I don't know what that old cliche is but I'm trying to remember a big game where one side of the ball played so well and the other just was terrible I don't think there's any other way to put it and it's that it's you know complimentary is the, the word with an E means one side helping the other. The word with an I means, yay, you're great. You know, you look really good today. I'm going to be uncomplimentary about the offense and that it just didn't hold up its end of the bargain. And, you know, we thought going into this game that there were areas of, of, of potential concern that had been covered up by – the fact that they were just so far athletically superior to all of their their opponents to date. And what were those? You know, the lack of depth at receiver, which we, and I mean, by we, I mean, including me, uh, you know, part of which we chalked up to the inability of of Trey Wallace for for multiple games. Uh, The lack of explosive plays, which we, uh, starting with me, 
I, I thought had to do with them not maybe showing their whole playbook and then the lack of, of bigger plays from the running game, which I couldn't wrap my head around because they played a bunch of really bad um, rush defenses. And as it turned out, I mean, those weren't just minor issues. Those were those are were and are glaring problems for a team that aspired to compete for a Big Ten and potentially national championship. You know, Mike Yursich, what was he holding up his sleeve? Nothing. I mean, they had nothing. There, there was nothing that they were able to unleash. There was nothing that they had held back that we saw other than multiple trick plays, which were each more ineffective than the last. It was almost as if Ohio State knew they were coming, and I'm not com- com- uh, uh, accusing anybody of stealing signs. I'm just – I'm, I'm still – looking at that offensive offensive performance and thinking could they possibly have been that bad and but they were and all those things that we were wondering about through through the first 6 weeks that you know were you could use different makeup to to hide the uh the, the whether it's the defense whether it's you're just so damn athletic that if you need to 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 get plays you're going to get them are going to work against inferior opponents this wasn't an inferior opponent. and But one last thing I'll say on my little opening monologue here. We heard for years and years and years from James Franklin, which was completely fair. And I think Penn State fans did not understand this, that Penn State as, as an athletic department and university wasn't putting the resources into its program to consistently compete with the upper tier programs, going back to the whole elite thing. Well, guess what? They are now. And if you looked out at that field on Saturday, I don't think there is any rational human being who is going to tell you that outside of one player, you know, outside of one player, Marvin Harrison Jr., who was clearly the best player on that field. But you can't, you don't rack that up to, you know, Ohio State having better facilities. It's just they did a great job recruiting that particular kid. Otherwise, the level of talent, the level of athletic ability, the level of size, the depth. If anything, Penn State had greater depth and didn't use it. So I just think, okay, that was a valid uh, argument or a valid claim as James Franklin built this program. But now the program is where it is, and that's no longer the case. You can no longer say that you don't have, you know, you, you don't have the support. You know, when, when you look at the, the size of the staff, the size of the athletic department, the job they've done recruiting, you can no longer say that they don't have the support it takes to compete with these teams. We looked out on the field, all of us, everybody, you, fans out there, you look out on that field and you tell me that Ohio State had better field, better players across the board. I don't believe it. You may, I dis, I respectfully disagree with you if you do, but to me that just was not the case. So what does this boil down to? It boils down to coaching, and it boiled down to coaching on one side of the ball, and we know who's involved there. It's Mike Yersich and it's James Franklin who, you know, James doesn't put as much time, I don't, not as much time. He isn't, I think Manny Diaz has more uh, control over what the defense does overall, just because James's background is on the offensive side of the ball. So that's my opening diatribe monologue, and I'll stick with it. Uh, 30% of Penn State's offensive production in terms of yardage came on that 
uh, two and a half, whatever that was, that, that two-minute drive down the stretch, desperation time, where they produced their final touchdown. The first 57 minutes in Columbus, they produced fewer than 170 total yards. We know about the first 15 third down tries not moving the chains. Uh, one of three on fourth downs, including a puzzling fourth and four call, which Mark will get into you in a bit. In a bit, um, if you'd like, we spent some time in the podcast, sure. but on the post game podcast, breaking that down. Uh, but Daniel, we're going to talk about some big picture stuff. We're going to talk about expectations versus realities through seven games here at Penn State. What's at stake? Um, they slide three spots, you know, big picture here. They're down in number 10 in the AP poll uh, and the coaches poll. The one that's going to matter pretty soon is the college football playoff poll. And with one loss, you're you're walking on eggshells and you need help and all that kind of stuff right now. It's a situation you did not want to be in before Halloween if you were Penn State. Um, but what do you make of, of their status in the national picture right now of college football as the as the playoff comes into greater focus here i think it's about where i thought they would be <clears throat> excuse me on sunday morning putting together um the the pre-write for that that polls post sometimes i i try to forecast a little bit uh to kind of eliminate some work on the back end and you know i didn't really think that they would fall outside of the top 10 i thought that you know there's a chance they could slip down to 11 or 12 depending on what happened elsewhere um, but you had a couple losses uh, out there and a couple other performances that I think, um, you know, helped their standing a little bit. But I, I think that Penn State is still seen as a, um, you know, nationally as a you know good program, a top 10 program. I think that people understand that they lost to a top three team in those polls. So I don't think that there was that much punishment for it. And I also think that outside of the offense, there is a pretty good amount of respect for how Penn State played against Ohio State. The defense played really, really well. I think that side of the ball established itself as one of the best units in the nation. Um, I was going through some numbers last night, and despite a loss, they're still in the top five, I think, in, in all the major categories defensively. I, I think that you know that that performance really, really, um, you know, I think it resonated with some people. Oh, and I also think that people understand that Marvin Harrison Jr. is the type of player that that's going to get his. So you know, I, I think that people understand, too, that Penn State has sort of a two game season, that what happens against Michigan in a couple weeks is really the, the determining factor of what kind of year it is. Is it the same old, same old, uh, you know, 10 and two with with the chance to, to win an 11th game in a bowl? Or are they going to put themselves into that conversation? Uh, with with a victory over Michigan, you know, to be potentially in the Big Ten title game, depending on what happens, to be that second Big Ten team uh, in a playoff, depending on what else happens. So I, I think that national perception of Penn State, I think overall didn't change too, too much based on the big picture of what people expected coming into the season. I, I think it's one of those things that you go back to the the process versus the results I mean, if we were sitting back in August and we say that Penn State is going to be six and one on October 23rd with a loss to Ohio State, I think that we would kind of look around at each other and just say, well, yeah, that's that's kind of how things go. But when we you're all in predicted the that, I mean, didn't we yeah. actually sit down and do that? We all said we, we they're going to go 11 and one and they're going to beat Michigan and they're going to lose to Ohio State and somewhere along the way. 
Until we, we didn't. That, we, we bought in. I mean, we bought yep. into what Penn State was going to accomplish on Saturday, and one half of the program, it was exactly as I thought they would look on Saturday, and one half of the program was looked like they were the team missing a star receiver and a star running back, which happened to be the Buckeyes on Saturday, not Penn State. And so, sorry, to, I, I, I didn't want to cut off your conversation there. I was going to segue to the next thing, but Daniel, continue if you had something else on the national perspective deal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, it's basically the, you know, when you're in it, it can be hard to you know see the forest through the trees or, or however you want to phrase it uh, and to see how it happened too, to know how winnable that game was and how close really Penn State was to being able to pull that off. I think from the people that are really involved in the day to day uh, and are really invested and really close to it, this can be kind of, uh, it, this can feel a little bit more ground shaking maybe than it looks to people on the national perspective, even though I do think that that the offense's performance, as much as we talk about how the defense's performance might have resonated with, with national observers, more big mm -hmm. picture people, I think the offense probably resonated with, with some other people as well. So I, I think yeah. that where they are nationally, I think that in the big picture, it's fine. It's maybe where we expected them to be a couple months ago. But in the macro, in the day-to-day, -day, or in the micro, in the day-to-day, -day, I think that you have a little bit more concern. You have a little bit more worry. Tyler, I have yeah, a little know. bit of a different I mean, take. Do you mind if Do you mind if I say one thing on that? Of course. Yeah, it's not. It's not. Uh, it's not um, opposed to what Daniel said. But you know, I think that as important as the national perspective is, I don't want anybody to get me wrong. Yeah, this team is still in decent shape it has at least an outside shot of still getting into college football playoff if it takes care of business the the the, the opportunities are there i'm not saying it's definitely going to happen and if you beat michigan you know your season is is, is kind of right back on track and i think when we all picked them to lose one game we figured well if it's not one it's going to be the other right i think this i think the thing that's most difficult and the reason that players were so emotional and the reason that fans are so emotional isn't the national perspective. It's who you lost to. I mean, yep. this is a team that's been beating you in nine of 10 and seven straight now. And you've had the opportunity to win multiple games in this series. And I don't know that we've ever seen Ohio state at Nessus as good as Ohio state is. I'm not sure if that's a team that's rated as high ranked as that, that ought to be ranked that high because I, I, I look at some other teams. I just think this was, this was a winnable game and they let it go because one side didn't play well. And yes, I give Ohio state all the credit in the world because they do what they always do against Penn state. They don't panic. They don't crack. They keep fighting and not that Penn state didn't keep fighting, but they don't make the big mistakes at, at key moments. And I think that's what's so difficult for everybody. National perspective is great, but this was the last year of divisional series and the, you, your last chance to prove that you're at this team's level before you everybody goes off, not in their own directions, but before the, the divisions are gone and they weren't able to take advantage of it. And, and I think had they had that been the game against Michigan and they lost it, you know, I don't think everybody's crying, and I I, I don't think it, it would have been emotional, but I think it's also who you lost to in this team that's kind of had your number. And I also think that's why James Franklin, after the game, was so reluctant to go into big-picture discussions because he knows when he did that before with this team, people are still talking about it to this day. Yeah. 
the how they lost it is something we'll discuss in a moment. The the who they lost to, though, go, going back to that and just hammering home how much of a dark cloud this is on the on the annual schedule for Penn State. I mean, it's a buildup of goodwill and good grace, and can they get it done? And we're back in this same spot every year. Sean Clifford's 2017 recruiting class, KJ Hamler part of that group, Journey Brown part of that group, they came to campus. Some of them stuck around for six years. None of them beat Ohio State. That 2018, that lauded class, the, the highest rated one they've signed, Micah Parsons, Pat Fryermuth, Jahan Dotson. Um, you go on and on with that class. They all came to here. They never beat Ohio State. Some of them were here for five years. Uh, and now you've got Caden Wallace's class, Adiza Isaac, Daquan Hardy, that 2019 group. They just sealed their fate, unfortunately, of being 0 for 5 against Ohio State. I mean, that's three consecutive, relatively highly rated recruiting classes that are supposed to be building you towards something. And they have won New Year's Six Bowls and they have won 10 games in the regular season and 11 games overall. And that's a fantastic place to be overall in the grand scheme of college football. But when your head coach says what he said five years ago and doubles down on it and triples down on it in different kinds of ways over the years, and it becomes very clear that. James Franklin is measuring this program but by how they perform in those 60 minutes against Michigan and Ohio State. They want to treat every game 1-0, but when you're talking about the aspirations like they do openly and candidly this year, we all know what that means. That means beating Ohio State. That means beating Michigan, at least one of them. And so to, to take on a, a team in Columbus that I think – I mean, hell, their defense looks fantastic. I'll give them a lot. I mean, if Ohio State's defense is going to play like this, they're going to be hard to beat the rest of the way by anybody, including Michigan potentially, although we have questions about Kyle McCord and what that offense can do. But I just think this particular team in Columbus felt more ripe for the picking than any they've encountered in this series in recent memory, going back to Urban Meyer's final few years, through Ryan Day's first two years, and Penn State, for whatever reason, a team that seemed healthy, rested, motivated going on the road, just didn't come through with that. And they were down 20 to six with just a few minutes remaining. And I mean, now that we've had a couple of sleeps to digest this thing, Daniel, let's, let's throw it back to you. What did surprise you the most from how this played out on Saturday? I think I, I keep going back to the offense's performance. And I think that <clears throat> as I've kind of had the opportunity to, to drill down a, a little bit on it, you know, on my five and a half hour drive home, uh, on on Sunday, thinking through some things, I think I do come back to the to the running game. Eighteen combined carries for Katron Allen and Nick Singleton. Uh, they got Nick Singleton got a couple looks in the passing game. There's that one third and one where they tried to get him out to the edge in space against an Ohio State defender. I still think that even if that pat, even if he was able to hang on, that would have been a tough play given how the safety was coming downhill. Um, and, and where he was in relation to the first down marker. But we Tyler and I talked about it after the after the game on the postgame podcast where Nick Singleton is the type of player who's supposed to be an equalizer in a game like this, where, you know, historically, Ohio State has had is the team that has all of the five star athletes um, on either side of the ball. And with these last few recruiting classes, Penn State has been able to put to collect some of these guys and you know someone like Nick Singleton is has the talent has the skills to be able to turn a game on its head with with just one carry. I think we saw that sequence in the first quarter where he had three carries for 42 yards including a 20 yarder and a 16 yarder two of his longest runs of the year and you kind of thought okay he's going to be able to get going they're going to be able to find um you know, opportunities for him to to get into space, to get through that line, 
get into the sec- second level and, and then maybe some things can happen. Uh, and I, I think that getting away from that, <clears throat> giving him fewer opportunities as time went on, I think really stood out. And you combine that with the fact that you know Drew Aller did not seem that sharp. You know that you have you know at the wide receiver position that you're at a little bit of a disadvantage and that you really only have a two guys that, that you can trust on a consistent basis. You do have the tight ends uh, who can make big plays. And we thought we saw Theo Johnson have at least one big catch, but Nick Singleton is the type of guy that I think should have had the ball more, should have had more opportunities. I'm not a run the damn ball type of person because I understand, or I think I understand what modern football looks like, but I think that he needed to get the ball more. He needed to have more opportunities to make plays And that's something that I think could have swung the game a little bit. I do want to go back to something you said uh, about um, Harrison Wallace and kind of the trust that's there and and, and at the top of the receiver group. But going back to what you mentioned on Singleton and Allen, you know, two guys who had freshman last year, 29 combined touches in this matchup, 140 yards, two touchdowns uh, on the game. In the fourth quarter, remember how we said going into the game, okay, we're finally going to see a full four-quarter game from this offense. and, And what is that going to look like? Well, Nick Singleton had zero touches in the fourth quarter in this game. Uh, Katron Allen had three touches in the fourth quarter. Marvin Harrison had four touches. He was targeted four times. He had four cut, four catches. He'd reached the end zone. So Marvin Harrison, in, a, in the moment, you know, Ohio State's offense wasn't wheeling a deal, and they had 13 points pretty deep into the fourth quarter. They go to Marvin Harrison four times, and they find a way. He gets to the end zone. Fantastic player. But if you're telling us all year long, uh, Penn State staff, Penn State coaches, everybody in town that these are, you know, program changing backs. And these are guys that you can hitch your wagon to and let your young quarterback, you know, grow up with. In this game, three combined touches in the fourth quarter when you're looking for answers, you're looking for a spark. Aren't these two of the best players in the Big Ten in the country and certainly on this roster? Mark, I- I'm left at a loss for the usage here. Look at the stats. I mean, Ohio State averaged 1.9 yards per carry. Penn State averaged 1.9 yards per carry. Ohio State carried it 41 times. Penn State 26. Why was Ohio State doing that? To keep the defense honest. I mean, that's part of what you do, even if it's not paying dividends. And then the other thing I think with Penn State is you started to see it. Daniel mentioned it in the first quarter. Those three carries by Singleton, even the first, even if you just take the first two, which were 20 and 16 yards, he started to show that breakaway ability. And you have to keep going in that, that direction. So you're looking at a, a, a play breakdown from Penn State of 42 passes in 26 runs. And then you look at Ohio State, 35 passes in, in 41 runs. I mean, it's just. They had been running it. They had led the the the, uh, the Big Ten, I think, in, in carries and in rushing yards per game. Short going short runs, long drives, right? Short runs, long drives. Right. That was that was what it was. Like, the recipe. It's like the offense went into this game and 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 completely panicked. And what what they had done such a good job of, and what they I think they could have continued to do is to, to, again, go back to what I started with, that complimentary football, where, okay, you know, maybe you're not breaking off the long run, but you are having longer longer drives time-wise, and that's taking more of a toll on the opposing defense. And that's what they had done. And you can, you're, you're relying on your defense to get the job done. 
and that's why I, I just don't understand. They kind of went against everything they'd been doing to this point that, that, that had been working. And I get that it's a much better opponent, but it's almost, it's not almost as if, I mean, I'm going to say they panicked. They got into a tight game and changed what they do, what had been successful for them. And listen, I was the first one to say, I thought we were going to see some new wrinkles. And if that were the case, if they had tried, tried some different things that, that maybe we hadn't seen, you know, I would have, I would have understood that, but we didn't really see it. And other than again, the, the unsuccessful trick plays. And if that's what you're relying on in these games, like three trick plays, I mean, one, a double reverse where the two receivers are in the same spot, you know, one Keandre Lambert, you know, throwing it to Keandre Lambert Smith, who we've seen passing with the quarterbacks in practice. So was anybody going to be surprised? I mean, that was, they did that in front of the media and not that one possession game. That's all one possession game. That's what I'm saying. Not that particular play, but we've seen him actually back there working out with the quarterback. So I think everybody understood. I mean, Ohio state had understood, you know, watch out for this guy. But my point being, you, you go away from the things that have been working for you. And we've heard over and over, and I, I I still agree with this. I think this is their best offensive line in years, and I just don't think they had confidence in it. They don't. They did not have the confidence to say, you know what, going to get out there, going to start grinding, going to use that offensive depth. And I know you want to get into this, but yeah, we talked about how you know through the first six games they were able to use depth on the offensive line to help uh, you know compensate for injuries and. You know, blah blah blah, and and yep. here we are. They get into this game, and they don't use any of that depth. So, yeah, I mean, I think when it comes to running the ball, it's such an easy thing to go back to. But in this t- this game, I think it was true because the stats kind of bear it out. We'll be right back on the Lions twenty four seven podcast. Let's go through some some of the details here offensively as well. Um, through the first three quarters and really into the fourth quarter there a bit, um, Drew Aller was equipped with 12 other players on his offensive roster to, to compete with on the field in Columbus. It was the 11 who started, Drew Aller, of course, and then the 10 others. And then Nick Singleton as the second running back involved in the game. Katron Allen got the start. Singleton finished it with 10 touches on the day, uh, fewer than 50 yards. And then you had uh, Liam Clifford as the 13th offensive player involved through those first three quarters. He did not catch a pass until that uh, last touchdown drive with a few minutes remaining. So that stands out to me, Daniel, um, to, to go on the road here uh, with this young quarterback. And I think it was for the first uh, about 50 minutes of this game. And, you know, pretty far, Seafish shows up a little bit. Then you see Trey Potts, Caden Saunders later on. Uh, but, 12 guys other than you, Drew. I mean, it's like, go, you know, and, and it clearly possession by possession by possession, three and out by three and out, uh, ugly, ugly, you know, ugly possession by ugly possession. You may wonder, is it time to peel back, uh, you know, and, and, and pry into the personnel plans a little bit? And they stuck the course here for a long way. And one name that comes to light here, and, and can we really hang our hat on Harrison Wallace being – no, set and forget it. You know, we've heard so much. Those two guys are at the top. This, to me, felt like a spotlight moment for Harrison Wallace to kind of show where he was at here in year three in a big matchup where they needed him to make some big plays. Targeted five times, two catches, 19 yards. Those 19 yards were the only yards for any Penn State receiver aside from Keandre Lambert-Smith until that final possession of the game. But we're talking about a guy who's played more than 20 college football games now. Only twice has he gone over 50 yards receiving in a matchup. So, uh, I'm thinking about the weapons they're putting out there and the weapons they're not putting out there. 
where do you stand on Harrison Walsh right now? Because it just feels like he has been, you know, kind of talked about as though he's accomplished so much or, or you know, and maybe he's had, I know he's been fantastic on the practice field, but you know, the, the bare bones of it are he's got 15 catches for 161 uh, yards this year. And then last year you go back and he had 19 catches for 273 yards. So 34 catches, one touchdown, 20 college games. Are we sure this is all figured out and he belongs at the top of the assembly line? And I guess, what does that say about the, the wide receiver process right now in that rotation? On top of that, Keandre Lambert-Smith and Harrison Wallace were going against the Ohio State secondary that didn't have Denzel Burke. <clears throat> so you know, Ohio State's down at its top corner, and you're still not able to find consistent success out there. Um, I think I had Harrison Wallace down as someone to watch in this game, someone that could make a, a big-time impact. Uh, and I think that's something that we've been hearing since the spring, where he is the number two. He was set it and forget it. Like you said, you know, there really wasn't a lot of, it seemed like questions uh, from the coaching staff. I mean, even when you talk about Omari Evans, Dante Cephas, you know, going down that depth chart, uh, whenever those guys came up, it was, well, we need to see it. We need to see consistency. They need to prove it. Um, and then to have Harrison Wallace, it was, I think we've, we've seen what we need to, we need to see. I think there's there's a couple guys like that every year, it seems like with Penn State, where as much as you have the competition talk, um, you know, you come into a season and guys are, are kind of set. I think that we saw it going into last year with with Olu at left tackle, where he got all the reps in the spring and that carried over into the fall. Obviously, that was a very, very correct read and, and very correct decision uh, in that situation. But Looking at Harrison Wallace in this passing game, you do need more out of him. I think that this wide receiver room is in a very tough spot. Marcus Higgins, I think, has his hands full with trying to get these guys ready to play, having them in a position to to succeed. James Franklin talking about it after the game in terms of guys not getting separation, guys not getting open. I think that there's a, a certain, at a certain extent, it just comes down to a, a skill deficiency there. Um, and there are well-regarded recruits in there, guys that 24-7 sports had highly rated. I, I believe Anthony Ivey was a top 24-7 recruit. Caden Saunders was a top 100 recruit. Carmelo Taylor is someone that has really blazing speed. We knew he was going to be you know, a, a bit of a developmental guy coming in. But I think that Penn State just doesn't necessarily – have the horses right now on the outside and that can make life really, really difficult. Um, I'm really curious to see what the rest of the year looks like for Harrison Wallace uh, and looks like for this wide receiver group. Um, you know, I'm, I was kind of surprised we didn't see as much Liam Clifford um, on Saturday. I thought that in this type of game, when you talk about trying to control a game, keeping your offense on the field, moving the chains, you know, we've heard about him as a guy that out of the slot, can get open, can be a maybe a bit of a safety blanket for a quarterback like Drew Aller. That didn't really come up. We talked about Harrison Wallace as that guy that can move the chains. That didn't really happen. And then all of a sudden, that's a lot on Keandre Lambert-Smith. And I know that I wrote earlier this year that he was looking the part of a number one wide receiver. And I think that he does look the part as this team's number one wide receiver. I think when you zoom out and you look at the rest of college football, maybe that isn't necessarily the case. Uh, so this wide receiver group is in a, a very interesting spot moving forward. 
I am curious to see if there are any shifts on the depth chart as we go down the stretch, if anyone can be the, a guy that can make an impact. And just one last note on the, the wide receivers. Um, I have to give some credit to Caden Saunders. Uh, after the game, he was the only wide receiver who was made available uh, to us uh, in the media. And, you know, he's a redshirt freshman who didn't play until the last drive. I know that he caught his first career touchdown in his home state, you know, very close to his home. So that's a, a, a pretty cool story. But the other offensive guys available are Drew Aller, Olu Fashionu, Theo Johnson, you know, two team captains and the uh, starting quarterback. And then you have the, the redshirt freshman uh, wide receiver who has to answer for James Franklin saying that the the wide receivers aren't getting open and that the passing game isn't going to be where it needs to be. So I, I want to say that I appreciated uh, Caden Saunders' patience with some some big picture questions that might have been a, a little bit above his pay grade after that kind of game. Here's the deal. James Franklin has known since you know they got on the plane and left Southern California last January and, and regrouped uh, at team facilities that receiver was a question mark for him. They made it a priority in the transfer portal. They fired the coach who was the position uh, leader and, and they went and hired a new guy. And I just know in the back of James Franklin's mind when he was thinking, OK, what can go wrong? You know, way back in January, what could go wrong for us in Columbus come October 21st, 2023? Wide receiver deficiency had to be one of the most you know, grueling things going through his head throughout the offseason. Can we shore this up? Can we get there? And here's the deal, guys. They have added eight scholarship receivers since last year. Five freshmen from last year's class, one freshman from this year's class, and two transfer portal players in Dante Cephas and Malik McLean. None of those eight took an offensive snap for the first three quarters in Columbus. So what's the solution? So what's the solution? Uh, I don't have one for him. So they, I, I think Sunday was a, a pretty important day in team facilities. It had to be. It's going to be painful in some ways, like ripping off a thousand band-aids at once. But you got to do it. Get in that film room and, and try to work your way towards the next matchup, which is Indiana. This team's back on the practice field Tuesday. We'll, we are back on the practice field Wednesday. We got James Franklin press conference on Tuesday as well. But I think that's enough focusing in on this particular matchup. We have more content. We'll have more game snaps. You have your game rewind, Daniel, over at lines247.com. So there's a lot more details to work your way through from what happened in this 20 to 12 loss. But let's finish this episode, guys, with a little bit of expectations versus reality. And I think we can kind of work our way uh, through this fairly quickly because we touched on so much of it during the course of this episode. But let's begin with the high note here. Defensively, uh, in terms of expectations coming out of this thing in August versus where they are through seven matchups. Mark, I mean, Manny Diaz's group has taken every stepping stone in the right direction. Yeah, and just, uh, you know, what, what stood out to me in that game, and I, I know we're past that game, but it's the, the swagger it kind of showed. I mean, so we saw that in the first six games, and then we saw it there. And what I loved is the fact that, you know, you have Marvin Harrison Jr. having a, just a massive monster game with – 11 catches for what 160 whatever it was and these guys didn't care they're shaking it off it's like okay you're gonna get yours and the next play they're gonna drop the running back for a three-yard loss and Johnny Dixon is gonna be out there squawking and, and Daquan Hardy's gonna be doing his thing and they were walking the walk and they were playing loose and they, and they were having fun and it was like the exact opposite of the tightness you saw over on offense and I think that's the sort of thing 
that you can it obviously did it carried them in that game that defense did more than enough to win that game i know the the guys would say you know did you do enough to win the game on defense no well we didn't win the game but you know realistically any any of us look at it but they used their depth they got after it they had fun they they didn't crack when the other team made a big play uh they they didn't crack when there was a call that could have gone against them it took multiple more more calls for for Ohio State to eventually get into the end zone and even after that happened they 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 played really well so i couldn't have been more impressed with that defense coming out of that game against some really talented uh, ohio state offensive players including marvin harrison junior who sure looks to me like one of the very best players in the nation and again he got his but it was almost like watching an NFL defense, knowing they were going to give up big plays, but not letting it rattling. It was such a mature, fun, enthusiastic approach. And that coming out of that game, I know that was difficult for Penn State fans to watch the entire game, but that part of it I thought was tremendous. Ohio State's drive results in this game uh, through the first three and a half quarters, field goal, punt, punt, punt touchdown which came after curtis jacobs seemingly scored a touchdown for the defense on that possession punt 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 turnover on downs field goal and then the touchdown drive which they got the ball in great field goal field position because james franklin elects to go for it on fourth and four with a bit over that seven minutes to go in the game and, and that's when the dam breaks a bit and harrison reaches the end zone uh clearly this defense has come to play this season i think they have have, have matched that expectation or perhaps exceeded it overall thus far uh rushing attack though i mean we, we've gone through this so much uh, w- with this team waiting for the breakout performance and i mean at this point we're waiting for the opportunities for nick singleton and katron allen and daniel it, it is officially time to head to that red button and push it because again when everyone on this campus is telling you all year that we're going to run we want to be the team that can run the ball when everyone in the stadium knows that that you want to run the football and that when everything's going wrong we know we can count on this and thus far, it's either they haven't been able to count on it or they haven't been willing to put both feet on the bandwagon and say, let's ride these backs to where we need to be. Yeah, I think when you look at the this rushing attack and, and the expectations versus reality framing, I, I think that given what you had and the track record that Nick Singleton and Katron Allen already established, what we know about the, the players on this offensive line and what we saw last year, I think that this is maybe the the biggest gulf on the team between what we thought we were going to see and what we've actually been seeing. You know, the explosive plays in the running game haven't really been there. I don't really think we thought we were going to see a really grinded out offensive attack, especially on the ground this year. I think that you know, we were going to see Nick Singleton break off those home runs. Um, even Katron Allen, who wasn't necessarily known as the as a home run hitter there are a couple times last year where he is, he's got that vision where he can make a cut, he can get through a hole and then there's no one there in the second level. So he can get moving a little bit. So I think not seeing that has really been, I think the most shocking thing from this offense, the most surprising thing. And then you put it in the context of what we were talking about earlier, where you know that Ohio, you know what kind of game you're going to be in for at Ohio state. It really did seem like that, Penn State was trying to keep Ohio State off the field because you know what they have on that offense. Um, and that's when you turn to your running game. And Penn State just really did not do that on a consistent basis. So I, I think that looking at the running backs and, and the running game, I think that's where you have the 
you know, the biggest disparity between what we thought we were going to see and what we're actually seeing. And it's, and I think Mark mentioned it earlier. I mean, Penn state played some really bad defenses these past Mm -hmm. couple weeks and we did not see it. And I think that maybe a a little bit of a failing on, on my part, I, I waved it away a little bit. Um, I, I, I guess I hand waved a lot of stuff about the offense these past couple of weeks. Uh, and that really, really came back to bite Penn State at Ohio State. Yeah, Katron Allen on the season. I mean, you can look at the volume for these guys. It's not what we expected, but just on the on the per touch uh, production, uh, Katron Allen's down from 5.2 yards per carry last year to 4.6 yards per carry. Nick Singleton, a lot more notable, 6.8 yards per carry last season. So many of those explosive plays along the way down to 4.2 yards uh, per, per rush here in 2023. Now it's a seven game sample size, but we still haven't seen these guys in the fourth quarter, which is just baffling to me. Um, I know we've got to, to wrap up here. We got some basketball media day stuff for you guys to get to, uh, but, but finishing up with the expectation versus reality thing. I mean, wasn't the, the ground game supposed to be the thing that unlocked the passing attack mark. Now it feels like we're being fed more of a narrative uh, and maybe a, a vision that it's supposed to be the the passing game that's supposed to unlock this rush attack. It feels like things got flipped at some point. I don't know when, I don't know why, and I don't think it's beneficial to Penn State's offensive plans. No, and I don't think it's been fair to Drew Aller. I mean, listen, we're through seven games now, and he's done everything that they've asked him to do, which is not make mistakes and take what the defense is giving, right? So he's sitting here right now with 13 TDs and zero interceptions, which is fine. Okay, that's great. But then you get to the clutch point of the season where you're facing fourth and three, and you've been telling this quarterback not to make mistakes. And what do you do as a coaching staff? You decide to go for it with with more than seven minutes to go. They made the turnover. The coaching staff made the turnover by trying to go for it when there was zero indication that they were going to get it. When your punter was playing extremely well, when your defense was playing extremely well, everything at that moment of the game, when they were it was still a one score game, tells them tells you to to punt it. And why do I bring this up with the with the passing game? Because if okay, if that's the decision you're going to make at that point of the game. I'm going to tell you that now it's time to, to, to let Drew Aller go. And I'm not saying let him make willy-nilly passes wherever, but it's time to start letting – he's he's an adult now as a, as a football player. He's been through six games that he won. He's been through a grind of a tough atmosphere that, that he lost. And now your running game's not working. You got very questionable situations at receiver – if you want to get this passing game going, give him more to do. Let him take some more chances. If you're going to take chances as a coaching staff, fine. But then don't don't tell your quarterback that he can't take chances. I know that's kind of a, a roundabout way of getting there, but I think where they are now, it's not it, it's not going to matter this week. It may matter at Maryland. It's definitely going to matter the following week. They can't be the offense they were. And what's the one thing that can change? You're not getting better receivers in here, are you? I mean, do we think that the that somehow after th- this running game has struggled against many of the worst rush defenses in the Big Ten, that it's going to come up? I think the linchpin is going to be put your faith in Drew Aller. And I know fans may be looking at me like I'm nuts, but listen, this kid has a m- tremendous upside. I think he's going to learn from this game and let him take more chances, whether that's deep balls, whatever that is. 
I understand why they wanted him to play the way he did to this point, because you figured that with your defense, you were you were going to be able to pull games out. Well, guess what? You got to that point, and the coaching staff didn't have the faith in the defense to, to say. So forget about that. Give Drew Aller the opportunity, and let's see what he can do if he's able to take some more chances. I want to finish this off with one more subject, the impact of program newcomers. I mean, it was such an important element of the 2023 success when you discuss 10 different freshmen burning red shirts and, you know, Mitchell Tinsley coming in and being your receptions leader by the end of the season as a guy who was one and done as a transfer player and Chop Robinson and Hunter Norzad. And, you know, you can go down the list and talk about the impact and why it helped lead to that 11-win season. 16 total snaps, offensive, defensive side of the football for new players, uh, for newcomers to this roster against Columbus. So you're pretty much dealing with the same deck you had last year. You got some guys back healthy, but in terms of giving your roster a jolt, it was the Alex Falcon show. I mean, he was the guy who was out there doing stuff. I, 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 you saw Dante Cephas get involved in the fourth quarter and Trey Potts get involved very late. That was it. Offensive, defensive for program newcomers. Daniel, I'll toss it to you. Does this feel like something that Penn State needs to make more of a concerted effort to tap into a bit now that we've seen them on the big stage, whether it's the freshman class or some of these transfer players, longer looks? Or do we just have to kind of accept that this isn't the same influx that Penn State experienced last season for very different reasons? I mean, I don't want to blame it on talent. You also have to look at what was awaiting them on campus when they arrived from a depth chart perspective. Don't forget about Riley Thompson either. I think he had right. his best game as Penn State's punter. So when it mattered. Yeah. Yeah, it really did. And so you're talking about the the two biggest impact performances from newcomers coming on from your kicker and your punter. Um, yeah, I, I think looking at that, I was thinking about that too once you brought up that number to us. And I'm not super surprised by that. I think that when we talked about what Penn State was going to look for in the transfer portal, I think there was a lot of talk about adding supplemental pieces, someone like Trey Potts, where, uh, you know, you needed that number three running back who had experience. Um, And I think that overall, um, you know, Penn State didn't have a lot of holes on the roster. And then you're talking about this class of 2023. I think that there is kind of a, a bit of a narrative that these guys aren't necessarily going to need to come in and contribute right away. If someone does push, that's always great. Um, but it wasn't necessarily like what we saw last year when you have Katron Allen and, and Nick Singleton and, and guys like that. I do think in terms of newcomers, the biggest letdown and disappointment, I mean, has, has been that wide receiver room. You, know, you talk about Dante Cephas and Malik McLean coming in. Uh, I know that McLean didn't necessarily have the the same reputation as Dante Cephas coming in, but he had that great start against West Virginia where he looked playable and like someone who could contribute against the power five team, he's disappeared. And then Dante Cephas has, he's only gotten the ball in kind of these late game situations. And you can kind of see the, the skills that made him so successful at Kent state, but that really has not translated over. So I think yeah, over- he had his starts though. We got us. He did have his chances. He he got some targets, yes. and it's just I think he was getting like forty percent completion rate on balls thrown his direction for whatever reason. It just was not clicking when he got those starts. Yeah, I just think that overall, from the big picture perspective, in terms of newcomers, Penn State brought so much back from last year that I, I don't think we were. And we also know that the way that James Franklin does things is that he's not going to overhaul this roster from through the transfer portal. He didn't need to overhaul the roster from the transfer portal. 
but they knew that there were a couple holes and it just kind of goes back to that wide receiver position. You know, we know that they had Devin Carter committed early. He ends up at West Virginia. They get Malik McLean. They get Dante Cephas. There was a concerted effort there. And then for whatever reason, whether it's development, whether it's a, a leap up in competition for Dante Cephas or, or whatever that has not really translated. So I think overall, I'm not necessarily surprised that this lack of impact from newcomers, but when you drill down to that wide receiver spot where you knew that there were reps, you knew that there was a prime opportunity for these guys coming in to take over and make their impact. And that just hasn't happened. I think you get there and that is a a really big disappointment. And in terms of game ready guys, this this freshman class skews so heavily towards defense initially right now, and defense is is stockpiled, so it's not a great place to break through. Malik McLean, by the way, forty five snaps in that start at Illinois. In the four games since then, he has handled twenty four total offensive snaps. A guy who started uh, seven games as a freshman a couple of years ago at Florida State. Mark, we'll say goodbye to, to, to everyone here. I'm going to give you the last word. I gave you the first word. Anything that we didn't get to that you felt is, is worthwhile throwing out there. We're going to kind of start to, to, to turn attention ahead. Another Big Ten matchup on our next episode. But anything you think it's, it's worth putting on the end of this one as a punctuation mark? Just a couple things. Number one, I think there's so much still for Penn State to play for. Again, things are still out there if they break the right way. I know that's a big if, but you're still a top 10 program, right? So I get that people are are riled up, and rightfully so. I mean, again, I think it's not just that it was a loss, but who Penn State lost to. Uh, but now there's still plenty of opportunities out there. I like the fact that I think this week's game, you know, Indiana is, is, is kind of struggling, but – I like the way that that game at Maryland is shaping up now, even though Maryland has been kind of up and down. And then you have an opportunity, you have an, an awesome opportunity against Michigan. I don't think most of us are going to pick Penn State in that game the way we did against Ohio State, but the opportunity is still there. Okay. And then the last thing, I have to go change my shirt because Daniel and I wore the same <laughs> shirt to the game the other day. And now we wore the same one on this podcast. And I don't want to show up at Hoops Media Day with us people thinking that we're, I don't know what, you know, uh, you know, I don't want to say brothers, but because I'm significantly older than Daniel. And I think that would be insulting to him, but uh, <laughs> some sort of Bopsy twin. So we will, uh, we'll go cover Hoops Media Day and then get back into all the coverage tomorrow. But I appreciate that this was a difficult thing for Penn State fans. No question. People are emotional. People are passionate. Uh, but it's the way football season goes, and I'm glad we were able to hash it out here a little bit today. Yeah, we've had some listeners call the post-game podcast and these post-loss podcasts painful. We prefer the phrase therapeutic around here. Uh, so we, yeah. we appreciate everyone for listening. I can tell you, at least on YouTube, I think maybe part of it was Ohio State fans kind of you know getting some schadenfreude listening in, but our numbers were way up for this past podcast, so people were curious about this matchup. Uh, we got another one to look ahead to. We'll do that on Tuesday. We're back in Beaver Stadium with James Franklin. Probably the perfect. Could it, could it have been a better Monday for basketball media to land on here in Happy Valley? Uh, these guys will be at that. Check out the coverage at lines247.com, along with everything else we're hearing from Penn State football's progress coming out of this first loss of 2023. On behalf of Mark and Daniel and everyone at lines247.com, I'm Tyler Donahue. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Lions 24-7 podcast.